Open your Bible to the book of John, chapter number 21, and stand with me to reverence the reading of the word if you're able to do so. John, chapter number 21. We'll read verses 1 through 13. Thank you, family, for doing a wonderful job, and thank you, choir, for doing a wonderful job this morning. Uh, we would not be where we're at, and we cannot do as effectively what we do without you, and we thank God for each and every one of you. If you're thankful for our music team, church, say amen this morning. Hallelujah. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, these things referencing uh, the death of, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. I'm always interested in figuring out how the Lord reveals himself. Amen. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We go also with thee. I don't have time to preach that sermon, but be careful because the decisions you say about yourself will ultimately influence others. Amen. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught, what does the Bible say? Nothing. Nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Hmm. Have you ever had the Lord to try to reveal himself to you, but you didn't recognize him at first? Verse 5, then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. <laughs> At least they were honest. And he said unto them, <laughs> Some of y'all would have said, Oh, we got a big and y'all to see it. <laughs> Amen. He said unto them, Cast the net on the other side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. <laughs> now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken." Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? By the time God gets through revealing himself to you, you'll have no doubt 
who you had an encounter with. Amen. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. My focus this morning, though, is verse 9. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon. I want you to get this picture with me for just a minute. Before Jesus spoke and gave them instruction and before they at his word caught a great multitude of fish, they spent an entire evening, an entire night and had caught nothing And I believe that while they were out there fishing for something that they could not catch, there was already a fish fry going on. Amen. And so they're looking in the wrong place. Today my message is there's bigger fish to fry. Thank you and you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. This is a little bit of a a metaphor, if you will. But I'm thinking about how often we get... Uh, to a place in our lives where we try to take full control over things that we don't completely understand. And before you know it, we're spinning our wheels, if you will. We're wasting a lot of time getting a whole lot of nothing accomplished. Somebody say amen right there. And sometimes we are pulled away from God's best and brightest future for our lives. And we are wasting time on petty things. And we're going about life in all the wrong way. Meanwhile, there's a much bigger uh, and more important issue at stake. And that is the will and the ways of God for our lives. Many times even in ministry, if we're not careful, we will start uh, doing anything but what God actually called the church to do, which is to be a beacon of light with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know as well as I do, it's no, it's, it's no uh, a secret to know that there are many churches today that are drying up on the vine and they're dying, and it's not because the gospel doesn't work, it's because the gospel is not worked. Now let me repeat myself. It's not that the gospel don't work. It's just that we don't work the gospel. Meaning we don't present it. We don't share it. We don't get busy about our Father's business. And we can. Uh, and I'm not against programs. And I'm not against all kinds of church activity. Whatever it takes to reach the community. To build relationships. I love it all. But we've always got to keep the main thing. The main thing. If it becomes anything besides gospel centered. And gospel focused. Then the church ceases to be a true church. And it ceases to grow and multiply. Like God intended to. I don't believe for a second that any church was ever meant by God to dry up and die and close their doors. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be vibrant, supposed to be lively. Amen. It's supposed to be on the move, supposed to be reaching people with the gospel. And yet we have occupied ourselves fishing around for things that God never intended us to fish around with. But meanwhile, he's got everything we need on the seashore of his word. 
Lord. Can I get an amen? Uh, it's not really that complicated. If we just be about our Father's business, uh, if we just start talking to people about Jesus again, amen, uh, and we'll even have classes on how to soul win, and we'll have uh, conferences on how to soul win, and yet when it comes right down to actually doing the work, everybody just grows silent all of a sudden. And I'm saying there's bigger fish to fry than our personal preferences, our personal comforts, our personal comfort zones, amen. And we can busy ourselves with much, much stuff, and it looks good on the surface, but the truth is we're not drawing anything in. Somebody say amen this morning. And I say this morning there's bigger fish to fry. And I might be preaching to somebody this morning that you're going through some things right now, and the devil has throwed you off your game. And he's got you distracted, he's got you discouraged, he's got you displaced. And we're going to talk about those things, so follow with me if you will. First, I want you to notice in chapter 21, <clears throat> verse number 3. The Bible said, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. <coughs> now, I'm, I don't believe that Jesus ever meant for the disciples to never fish again. Uh, obviously, they had to eat, they had to live. I, I don't think that I could emphatically say that there was anything particularly wrong with Peter going fishing. I think it was the timing and the attitude that was wrong. Because God had told him, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. That's what Jesus told them. And what had happened in Peter's life is a lot of things had transpired that discouraged him. He, he, he wasn't sure what was going on. He, 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 you know, everything in his life was sifted. I mean, he had this vision and this picture in his mind of a Messiah that would come rescue the nation of Israel out of, out of, a, out of the control of Rome and all of that. And, and he believed that he was going to set up an earthly throne. I believe that's what he believed. Scripture seems to indicate that was the predominant philosophy and mind of thought during that era of time. And Jesus came and he kind of disappointed him at first because he wasn't there to sling swords. Amen. He wasn't there to raise up a physical, literal army. Peter was slinging a sword in the garden while Jesus was saying, put up your sword. And, and everything that Jesus was looked nothing like Peter had been raised up in Sunday school to believe that he would be. And he couldn't, grapple, he, he couldn't wrap his head around it. Uh, a lot of the things Jesus taught, uh, and, and it, wasn't, it, it wasn't no fault of Peter's really, uh, because it, it threw everybody off. Nobody really completely understood uh, until the revelation of Jesus Christ came what exactly was going on. Of course, hindsight being 2020, we can look back at church history and we can understand, uh, amen, that, the, that, that the, the Mosaic Law was given as an introductory course uh, to lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we were not always meant to, to actually offer up literal blood sacrifices on altars like in the temple in the Old Testament, that that was not God's plan for that to always be in place. But it was a foreshadowing, and it was a picture, and it was a type of how Jesus would set up first, not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom on the earth in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And there's no greater force, even to this day, 
in the earth than the force of the kingdom of God in the hearts of humanity. Now, I know right now it looks like the devils are winning. I know right now it looks like he's fully in control. But can I tell you something? Just when the devil thinks he's got Jesus, Jesus comes up out of the grave. Amen. Just when the devil thinks he's got the upper hand, God's kingdom rises up again. And we need to realize that, uh, that while Peter was looking for one thing, Jesus was doing something completely different. And so this took him by surprise. Uh, here was the man that raised the dead. Here was the man uh, that touched the blinded eyes. Here was the man that made the lame to walk and cleansed the lepers. Uh, here was the man that just walked up to him and tapped him on his shoulder and said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately the power of that word made him drop everything in you and abandon it all to follow Jesus. And now here this man is, having gone through a crucifixion, having been raised from the dead, and he's no longer physically present with them. They had grown to custom. Uh, no doubt over the last three years of spending time with Jesus uh, and they didn't expect his physical departure and so everything looks like chaos in Peter's life. So he did what the only thing he knew to do is he went back to fishing. He went back to familiar territory. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Referencing John chapter 1 and verse 3 where he said, I go fishing. What circumstances led up to Peter even thinking about Going back to what he was familiar with prior to Jesus' call on his life. Well, I did think about something else that happened. It was a biggie. You remember when Peter denied the Lord? I wonder if Peter was still hanging his head. I wonder if Peter was disappointed in himself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Here's my first point I want you to look at. Number one, there's bigger fish to fry when discouragement drains your affection. You know what the devil will do? The devil will remind you of your mistakes. The devil will remind you of your disappointments. He will remind you of your failures. And he will allow that discouragement to sink into your life to such a degree that it will rob you of your affection for Jesus. I believe that Peter's Fear and Peter's failure led to his discouragement. I believe that discouragement is the lack of will and courage to stay the course. Amen. And often the biggest source of discouragement in our life is disappointment in ourselves. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I believe that someone has gotten off track with discouragement. And the reason you're not on the front line serving God today is because you have failed miserably and you don't believe that you're even qualified to be used of God. And it has robbed you of your affection for Jesus because you don't think that your efforts are even going to be, uh, make a difference or be noticed uh, or even be that important. But let me remind you of something this morning. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Amen. Uh, do not live under the identity of your mistake. Uh, but live under the identity of the one who will forgive you. Uh, the one who will restore you. Uh, the one who bought and paid for you. The one that's faithful to you. Amen. Uh, and you take, tell discouragement to take a beaten path away from you. Amen. Don't you let discouragement rob you of your affection for Jesus. Amen, church. 
Somebody needs to be reminded today that failure is not a person. It's an event. When are you going to wipe your tears from your eyes, confess your sin, get it under the blood, and forgive yourself like God has already forgiven you? You see, here's the thing. God has an advantage that we don't have. You say, what's that, preacher? Not only can God forgive, but God will choose not to remember it again. I don't have the advantage of forgetting my failures. God has that advantage. And if I'm not careful, I will place myself under condemnation for something that not only has God already forgiven, but God has already chosen not to remember against me. And it might live fresh in my mind, but God is saying, what are you even talking about? So we have got to give ourselves permission that if God has forgiven us, that we ought also to forgive ourselves and to move on for Jesus. Listen to me. There's a lot more at stake right now than your personal agenda. Realize that God's army wants you. I didn't say he needed you. God can do it without you and me. But I got something better than the fact that he would need us is that he wants us. God wants us serving him. He wants us on the front line. And we have no business sitting in a pity party of despair in our failure while the kingdom of God is looking for workers that will get up in forgiveness and march on for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's bigger fish to fry. Get about the father's business today. Amen. Hallelujah. Not only that, let's look at another text. You remember this. We're talking about a man that in previous passages said this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. This is the same Peter. At one point, he was so confident. At one point, (laughs) he was ready to die for Jesus, so he said. And now, he's tucked tail and run. And probably if he's like me, wondering whether or not the Lord would ever forgive him. Wondering if he could ever be restored. Done blew it. Done messed up. (laughs) And and, and I want you to think about this. What would cause the familiar to be so attractive to someone that they would walk away from such a ministry in life as Christ lived and taught his disciples? How could that happen to us if we're not careful? So at one point he was saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. And now he says, I go fishing. Can I put it another way? I'm done with ministry. Because ministry done me in. By the way, serving God in the army is going to incur, you're going to incur injury. It's not going to be cushy, comforty. Not if you do it right. Not if you do it biblically. You're going to hurt feelings and your feelings are going to be hurt. You're going to both discourage others and be discouraged yourself. Uh, It's a prickly assignment. You're constantly on edge. I heard a preacher preaching about John the Baptist one time wearing that camel skin. And I don't know if this is true or not. I kind of doubt it, but the preacher said it, and I want you to think about it. What, what if John the Baptist wore that, that uh, camel skin inside out? And I think sometimes that's what we're doing. We're wearing the garment of the gospel, but it's prickly. 
It's scratchy. And we want to just lay it down because it's, it, it, it attracts more discomfort than comfort. And a lot of times that's the reason people are not serving God because serving God gets tough. Yes, yes. Now, if your experience with serving God has been peachy and sunshine and roses, let's have a talk after church because God knows I have not been to that class. I haven't figured out how to do that. And maybe I brought a lot of the injury on myself. I don't know. But let me tell you something. There's going to be days where you're going to be discouraged. There's going to be days where the same person that said, Lord, there's nobody else to go to is the one that says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm done with this. Because it got itchy. It got uncomfortable. Woo. I signed up, but I didn't know it was going to cost this much. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And a lot of times, our lack of progress is our source of discouragement. We do something, it don't work, so we don't ever try again. Yeah. Where is our uh, fortitude? Where is our strength? Is it in ourself or is it in the Lord? Come on, we can't quit at the first sign of trouble. We can't quit every time, uh, every time the devil attacks. Amen. Uh, if it's no, uh, you need to realize something. Anytime you try to do something for God, the devil's going to show up. I love my father-in-law, Brother Randall Boatner. I might invite him to come preach the, ser the first sermon I ever heard him preach. He preached on the devil goes to church. And what I've learned is the devil doesn't go to those churches that are giving him any trouble. He attends the front row of the ones that are posing the greatest threat to him. And what you'll find is when God gets to stirring and God gets to moving, he starts pushing every fleshly button in the church. The loudest mouth will get louder. The most sour face will get more sour. Amen. The most honor will get even more honorary. Amen. And the next thing you know, uh, it was going good. And all of a sudden, you, you wonder where so-and-so went. Why can't so-and-so come? Uh, why did they quit? Uh, well, if anything, the church is uh, diminishing. And, and then the devil will talk the church into blaming it on the preacher well if he would be a little bit different we would start, keep keep the ones that we got and the visitors would come back and and we get a haul in it and really all it is is just a big uh, a satanic campaign of discouragement to try to get us distracted from what's really going on amen and i'm talking about number two there's bigger fish to fry when distractions gain your attention distractions amen there's uh there's always going to be uh insignificant chatter in the congregation but what happens is the devil and i know this from first-hand experience i've been in ministry long enough i've seen it over and over again he makes sure that the most influential leader in the church Here's the most insignificant chatter and might try to make a mountain out of a molehill. And somebody will say something negative and before you know it, somebody said that to somebody and somebody else heard about it. And it, next thing you know, the devil had the whole congregation convinced there's a conspiracy going on and that the majority opinion is that we got to do something. And the truth is one little loudmouth said something stupid. Now everybody thinks we got a giant to fight and it ain't nothing but a little petty mess that we got to ignore and move past and keep going for Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? Don't get distracted by the petty. Don't let things gain your attention that don't deserve your attention. Keep your focus on Jesus. 
Keep your focus on the gospel. Keep your focus on what matters most. Let all that other stuff just lay to rest. What I've learned is those distractions, if you don't feed them, they'll starve to death. Amen. They'll starve to death. The gossiper will quit gossiping when you stop listening to them. And they'll quit talking when you stop repeating what they said. Can I get an amen? I'm talking about there's bigger fish to fry. Amen. We've got more things to do than to sit around and grumble and complain and whine and listen to this and that and so and so and such and such and all this mess. Uh, what are we here to do? I'm here to preach the gospel and I'm here to try to provoke you to help me spread it. And that's what I'm going to be about. And I don't care what people say about anything else because that's the big thing. That's the main thing that we're here to do. Amen. Now, so remember this. When the devil comes with distractions, remember there's something more important going on. There's bigger fish to fry. Remember, Jesus already got a fish fry on the bank. Yeah. You over there, fishing around for stuff that don't even exist. Yeah. Most of Satan's, most of Satan's uh, gossip is just fabricated lies to give the illusion of something real. Y'all yeah. know what fear is? I've, I've heard this acronym and I like it. False evidence appearing real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> And, 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 and the best way to shut down that mess is quit listening to it and quit repeating it and get your nose back in the book. Amen. Uh, and, and I'm not against Facebook so far as it can be used for the glory of God. Uh, but if Facebook, if you spend more time on Facebook than you do the Word of God, then it's time to lay your Facebook down and it's time to get back in what matters most. Can I get an amen, church? Because Facebook is full of gossip full of lies, full of distractions, oh, yeah. full of filth, and if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into it. You've got to set some boundaries to maintain your ability to stay fully focused on Jesus, to give Him your undivided attention. Amen, church? So don't get distracted by the lesser things. If it's not important, then don't treat it as such. Amen? I, I'm sometimes tempted and guilty of hearing something and then the devil blowing it up in my mind, making a bigger deal out of it than what it was. All it was was a distraction. To get me to waste my energy on something else besides preaching the purity of God's Word. Amen. To keep me from preaching the Bible as it is to people as they are. And let God deal with the rest. Amen. I can't concern myself with the opinions of a thousand people. Yeah. I can only concern myself with the authority of one. And his name is Jesus. Amen. And I, I, I don't make any apologies if I don't fit the mold of the preferred preacher in your mind. I want to fit the mold that the Lord has built for me. And so help me, God, to be true to him at all costs, at any cost. And listen, you need to pray for every God-called preacher that God would give them the courage and the tenacity and, 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 the, and the ability to stay focused on their mission because Satan is constantly throwing distractions at them. So let's not get distracted on the lesser things now. Let's look at one more verse. Verse 5. Then Jesus saith unto them. 
This is after they toiled all night. Children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. <laughs> now let me ask you this. What are the disadvantages, looking at this verse, of trying to live in a familiar territory when you know that you should be in a different place now because of God's call on your life? You know why we like to go back to the familiar? It's because we're more comfortable with what we do know than what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And even though they weren't catching anything, at least they knew how to drop a net. <laughs> it's amazing to me how, how long people will fish and catch nothing. But because they know how to drop the net, they know how to cast the line, they'll do it. Listen, at some point, you've got to ask yourself, what's going on? If you ain't catching up, I say this to churches. If you're not winning souls, if you're not seeing any growth, if people are not being stirred up, we've got to ask ourselves the tough questions. What's wrong? Maybe the fish is already on the bank, and we just need to spend some time at Jesus' feet and let him show us where the real fish are. Maybe we need to take some lessons here and learn that what is familiar is not always what is effective. Just because we've been doing it for 30 years don't mean it's working or that we should continue to do it. I've seen churches do things for 30 years and constantly decline in growth and never win a soul, never put one through the baptistry. At some point, you've got to ask yourself, do we need to keep doing this because we're familiar with it? Or do we need to find out where Jesus is and find out where the fish are at? Amen. Amen. If you're not careful, you'll let the familiar, as ineffective as it is, comfort you until you are no longer able to produce for God. So we're, we need to be willing to think outside of the boat. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we need to be willing to say, well, we ain't getting anything here. And it wasn't until Jesus started talking that things picked up. Amen. And when they started listening for Jesus and listening, even when they didn't know who he was yet, they did what he said and it worked. Oh, glory to God. You may not even know exactly what it's all about yet, but if you'll just step out in obedience to Him, in a cause of His Word, it will work. We just need to be about following His Word. Amen. And the, Lord, the Lord's Word will often lead you into unfamiliar territory. Uh, he will often, that, that's, why, that's why Peter was so uncomfortable with this ministry. It become uh, anything but what he had envisioned or understood, and he was discouraged, and he was distracted, he was distraught, and he was just like, my, Lance, I, I can't wrap my head around this, so I'm going to go back to the only thing I can wrap my head around, but it wasn't good enough anymore because he had already had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I see churches who are unwilling to do new things, because for tradition's sake only. And they will ride all the way to the grave content with a graveyard. Uh, disclaimer. I pray that I'll never leave this church outside of that book. But I will say this. There's plenty in that book that we can discover that we've yet to discover. There's plenty of things that we can do for God that fit within the confines and boundaries of the Word of God that we have yet to embark upon. Right. Amen? And so different's not always bad. 
it's, it's actually better sometimes. Different is not always bad. Sometimes it's better because God is trying to show us how to operate and function in a real-world scenario with real-world problems and meet people where they are and quit demanding that they come to where we are. Amen. Uh, gone are the days of putting a church sign out and people just showing up because you open your doors. We're going to have to get aggressive. We're going to have to go get them. We're going to have to meet them on their street. We're going to have to love them. We're going to have to get the gospel to them any way at all possible. Amen. Uh, no longer are they coming to the well, so we're going to have to bring the well to them. And it's going to make us a little uncomfortable. And sometimes we're going to have to get out of our boat of familiarity to do it. But so be it if it brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm talking about don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. And number three, I want to say this, there's bigger fish to fry when displacement wanes your advantage. That word wane means weaken. When displacement weakens your advantage. You see, when you're in the wrong place, you're not effective. And some of you may be in the right place geographically this morning, but you're at the, in the wrong place in your heart. You're in the wrong place in your mindset. You're in the wrong place in your attitude. Amen. You have been displaced. That means Satan has used that distraction as a lure to pull you away from the place with God that you're supposed to be. And you know what you're supposed to be doing for God if you're his child. The question is, why have you allowed the enemy to take your advantage away from you? What is your advantage? Your advantage is to be in the place that you're supposed to be. You'll never catch the fish that God called you to catch if you're in a different pond than what he told you to be in. And some people, I don't know how they do it. I honestly got, now listen, I don't, I'm not interested in taking church members from other churches. I'm not interested in divisions and schisms in the body of Christ. But let me say something for the benefit of anybody willing to listen to me. If you're sitting in a place where your soul is being starved and you're not being blessed and strengthened and challenged and convicted by the Word of God, by all means, it don't have to be this church, but find some church that will feed your soul and sharpen you and strengthen you and bless you and help you. Amen? I don't understand people that are willing to live in a dead church their whole life because grandma was buried out in the graveyard. Grandma would not want you to be miserable, honey. That's exactly right. This, there's bigger fish to fry. This, there's a whole lot more at stake than just so-and-so's attitude or so-and-so's reaction or so-and-so's feelings or so-and-so's expectations. Let's get about what really works and what really matters and let God build His church the way He wants to build it. Amen. I'm talking about there's bigger fish to fry. But if you are out of place, then you have lost a tremendous advantage. Because you cannot serve effectively if you're not where God sent you. Had I disobeyed the Lord and stayed in Mississippi back in July of last year, I would be out of place and I'd be miserable. And I'd be ineffective. Amen. And I'm not claiming that I'm so effective here, but I can tell you this much, I'm a whole lot more effective here than I would be over yonder because I've done what God told me to do. 
Now, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If God's leading you to step up and teach a Sunday school class, if God's leading you to step up and be more faithful to the, all of the classes and not just Sunday morning, if God is asking you to, to get more engaged and involved in the church, uh, then get in your place and watch God bless you because of it. Amen. The fish is over here on the bank, and you ain't going to catch anything out there where you want to be. So displacement will give you a disadvantage, but there's bigger fish to fry. Amen. There's a lot more going on than our own personal preferences and agenda. Let me say this. Peter ended up in a place where he was out doing what he did best, which was fishing, but he was doing his absolute worst at it because he was in the wrong place. See, that season had passed. He was no longer anointed to catch a bunch of fish unless Jesus said, okay, I'll go get some fish. He was anointed to preach. He was covered, called to preach. Amen. And he used to be a professional fisherman. Now he can't catch one. Because now the voice and the direction of God is changing his life. And he's trying to do uh, a new season in an old mindset. He's trying to stay in the place he's always been. And nothing's happening. And until you are willing to allow God to make you a new vessel... A new wine skin so that you can hold the new wine of God's voice in your life. Then you're going to burst under pressure. Because you cannot put new wine in old wine skins. But I like where the word teaches us that he can make it again another vessel. It seems good to the master to make it. That means if I'm an old wine skin and I've done stretch as much as I'm going to stretch and I've done give as much as I'm going to give, I'm as hard-headed as I'm ever going to be, that if I will yield to the voice of the Spirit of God, He can make me a flexible vessel again. He can set me, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, first, you ain't a dog. You're a human being that has intellect and willpower that the Holy Spirit can influence if you'll let. So you can change. Second, well, this is just the way I've always been. No excuse for continuing in that if the way you've always been is not right. God's not going to buy it, and I'm not going to buy it. Get right with God. Change under the voice of God, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and be who God's called you to be, not the person you've always been. Don't give yourself any excuses to stay in the wrong place when there's fish on the bank and God's ready to feed your soul. Can I get an amen, church? Everybody stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus said in John chapter 21 and verse 19, after he brought them all on the bank, he repeated these words that began the disciples' journey with him in the beginning. He said, follow me. God is saying the same thing as always said. Follow me. God don't stutter God don't get it wrong the first time and have to make a correction. God's callings are without repentance because God's callings are accurate the first time. He did not make a mistake saving you. He did not make a mistake uh, calling you to serve Him. He knows what you're made of. He knows your frailty. He knows your frame. He knows your tendency to sin. He knows how to get you from where you are to where you need to be with Him. His simple instructions are follow me. And He knows the journey. 
every step of the way that you need to take to get back in the place with Him that you belong so that you can be uh, live out the purpose that He placed uh, on your life. Uh, I don't know who I preach to today, but I'm going to ask you to come and pray and do business with God. If you're discouraged, if you're displaced, if you're despondent, if you're distracted and, and you've, uh, you've lost your focus, it's time to realize that there's more important things to do with your life. There's bigger fish to fry. And let's surrender like they sang before we preached. Uh, surrender all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ today. Would you pray with us as they sing?